good to uh, see all of you here this morning. I want to send greetings uh, as well from Pastor Tyler and Pastor Brandon. Uh, they and Noah have been traveling this week at a conference, and so um, they've been texting a little bit about uh, the conference itself. Sounds like it was very beneficial, and they'll be traveling back today, so uh, certainly be praying for them as they travel. Um, today we are starting into a new sermon series that uh, we'll be uh, hopefully in for uh, quite some time. So uh, I guess get comfortable uh, with the book of John here over the next, <clears throat> really over the next few months uh, is our goal. So probably even a year from now we'll be in the book of John. We're going to just walk through it pretty slowly. And so my task this morning, as much as anything, is to just give a bit of an overview uh, of the book itself, which is uh, sometimes a fun thing to do, sometimes a little challenging because certainly I will not be able to address every uh, theme within the book and give, a, I guess, an adequate overview of every aspect. But nonetheless, I do uh, I enjoy giving some of the overview uh, lessons, and so it's, uh, it's fun to be with you uh, here this week. Uh, if you want to go ahead and just turn to the book of John, that would be uh, fantastic. Uh, it is in the New Testament, <clears throat> the fourth book of the New Testament, and we'll be really jumping around quite a bit in the book, and so just kind of open up to the first chapter, and uh, we'll just kind of go from there as we go through. Um, really numerous reasons to pick the book of John. Uh, a couple that I wrote down just as I was kind of uh, finishing up uh, really uh, for this morning. Uh, if you've been through the book of John, you know, it's just a unique presentation of the person and work of Christ. And, and we're going to talk through that here in just a moment. But just uh, kind of even before we get into anything, uh, the Gospel of John is very Christ-focused, right? And you could say that about all of Scripture, rightfully so. But the Gospel of John, just in a unique way, uh, just really gets to the heart of who Christ is and the importance of Jesus and His work. And so that, to me, is really exciting right, to walk through that as a church. We're still kind of young as a church and just really focusing specifically on the person and work of Christ. Uh, we could have gone to some of the other gospel accounts, but we thought John would be a tremendous one. And then um, the, the second thing I want to just highlight right as we get started is the idea of belief as seen within the gospel of John. Um, this idea of believing, right, Put, placing our faith in you see it kind of being very active in the Gospel of John, and, and Christ brings out some examples of that, and kind of like, this is what belief looks like. Uh, although the whole time saying, for instance, John chapter 3, you must be born again, regeneration is something only God does, but uh, as you're regenerated, you have this belief, this faith, and it's active. You don't just sit there, it's not just a knowledge that you have, but it's, it's something that you are participating in which I think is just a beautiful thing. And so as we uh, work through that over the next uh, really few months, I just get really, really excited about hopefully the uh, building that into the DNA of who we are uh, here as a church at CCF. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into uh, the overview itself. <clears throat> let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, once again that we can gather this morning. God, I thank you for uh, just roads that are cleared, Father, for uh, snow that's not in the forecast this morning. God, I pray that you would uh, be with us as we spend a few minutes in your word. 
Uh, give me wisdom, God. Give me strength as I present. Help me to present clearly, Father. Uh, we pray, God, for uh, Pastor Brandon, Pastor Tyler, Noah, uh, others as they travel, that you would keep them safe, God, that you would uh, be with their conversations, even as they recap the last few days, God, at the conference. Those can be very challenging times um, with just uh, new ideas, God, or, or uh, opportunities, perhaps. So give wisdom, God. Be with us as a congregation as we, uh, over the next few months, God, walk through uh, your word in the book of John. May we be obedient uh, to the teachings that we find within the book for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. <coughs> All right, so... <clears throat> I want to set the context a little bit for the book um, that will, again, hopefully help us as we uh, work through this. So I uh, understand there, there may be occasion for you to even come back and listen to part of this message that may be helpful. Um, I find in overviews maybe to give some uh, kind of hooks that you can kind of grab onto, right? Uh, more of a skeleton outline of, of certain things. And so <clears throat> to start with that, we'll take a step back and look at the type of writing itself. So, uh, in your Bible, it might be uh, similar to mine, uh, it's actually entitled The Gospel According to John. Uh, as I mentioned, it's the fourth book in the New Testament, and we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke as other Gospels, okay? And so, by Gospel here, what we mean is that it is a good news account of the person of Jesus Christ. And so, Matthew wrote kind of a biography, is probably the closest we could say, of the life of Jesus. Uh, Mark wrote that, Luke wrote one, and then John wrote one. We're going to study the account of the uh, one that John wrote to us. <clears throat> and this covers about a three-year period of the life of Christ, okay? And so uh, I was talking to somebody the other day who'd been a Christian for quite a while, and they said, I didn't realize Jesus' ministry lasted about three years. I thought it was like one year. And I said, well, actually, uh, in the Gospel of John is where we see, uh, because of some of the festivals and, and feasts that we uh, have traced there, that the Gospel, or, or sorry, the ministry of Jesus lasted about three years. And that's the time period that we'll be covering here in the Gospel of John. Uh, of course, uh, the time that it was written and the time that it covers is uh, the first century uh, AD, which is about 2,000 years ago. And, and so, you know, we looked at the book of Amos, that would have been in the Old Testament, that would have been even, you know, a thousand years prior, this is, or a few hundred years prior, this is 2,000 years ago um, in the life of Jesus. And the good news, like I said, uh, we, we use the word gospel a lot, right, that we present the gospel of Jesus Christ, or the good news of his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, this gospel account is very similar in that regard to say it's the good news of the life of Jesus, ultimately pointing to his death, burial, and his resurrection. Now, um, there are four gospel accounts, three of which, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called synoptic gospels, okay? And so we don't have to go into much details about that other than to say synoptic means this idea of kind of to see together, okay? And so we have four accounts of the life of Christ, three of which are written kind of from a similar perspective. And then you have the Gospel of John sitting over here, covering some of the same events, of course, but just written from a diff different perspective and with a different purpose in mind. And so, you know, maybe an example would be Christmas morning. Uh, if my children would explain Christmas morning versus my wife explaining Christmas morning, 
probably different perspectives, right? Still Christmas morning, everything's still important. It's just maybe a little bit different perspective, maybe a little bit different purpose behind that. And so John provides us with a different perspective. Um, you know, one commentator, uh, John Calvin, some of you familiar with his writings and his teachings, uh, he explains it this way. So let me just read this little paragraph as he explains the difference between the four Gospels. He says, The other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, give a fuller narrative of the life and death of Jesus. But John dwells at greater length on the teachings about the role of Christ and the power of his death and resurrection. The others certainly say that Christ came to bring salvation to the world, to atone for the sins of the world by the sacrifice of his death, and in short, to do everything that was required from the mediator. John, likewise, devotes a portion of his work to historical details, but the teaching which points out to us the power and benefit of the coming of Christ is far more clearly shown by him than by the rest. Okay, So the teaching that points out us the power and benefit of the coming of Christ is far more clearly shown by him than by the rest. They all had the same purpose to point out Christ. The first three gospels show his body, so to speak, but John shows his soul. For this reason, I usually say that this gospel is a key to understanding the rest, for whoever understands the power of Christ strikingly pictured here will benefit or profit by reading what the others tell about the Redeemer who appeared. So the, the power behind it, some of the reason behind it, uh, is what we get in the Gospel of John. Uh, I had one commentator that said, if you, would, uh, uh, if you could have no other books in the New Testament but the Gospel of John and the book of Romans, you kind of have m most of what you need, right? The rest is important, but you have a lot of what you need there. A little bit of the differences, I'll give you a couple lists, you don't have to necessarily write all of them down, but um, you will be quizzed later, okay, that's a lie. Um, <coughs> a little bit of the differences, Gospel of John, no parables, okay, and so we get used to Jesus' teaching in parables, Gospel of John actually doesn't have parables. Uh, there's no birth record, right, so uh, Luke chapter 2 and some, you know, Christmas stories and some other things, you don't turn the Gospel of John to, uh, you know, hear about. Mary and Joseph going, um, you know, on their trip. Uh, Jesus' baptism and temptation, kind of referenced, but not really covered in detail in the Gospel of John. Uh, the Lord's Supper, again, it, it's there, but it's it just it, it, a little different feel to it in the Gospel of John. The ascension of Jesus is not there. The transfiguration of Jesus is not there in the Gospel of John. And even exorcisms, casting out of demons, we don't see that within the Gospel of John either. It's as though the Gospel of John was written um, with him knowing that a lot of his readers would be familiar with some of those stories, and he's kind of giving a different angle or a different perspective. Uh, there are some things in his Gospel, of course, that others don't have. So some of the uniquenesses, uh, John 2 turning uh, water into wine, that miracle or that sign is unique to the Gospel of John. Uh, John chapter 3, his interaction with Nicodemus. Uh, many of you are familiar with that story where Jesus says, you must be born again. We only see that in the Gospel of John. Uh, John chapter 4, Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. That's only in the Gospel of John. Again, one that you're, many of you are familiar with. Um, <coughs> excuse me. 
raising of uh, Lazarus from the dead, only found in John's gospel. <clears throat> and then in chapters 14, 15, and 16, we see this unique ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, kind of being talked about by Christ. And so uh, there's that uniqueness there that we really only see in John's gospel. So some uniqueness is between them, but just to set the context, a biography or a story of the life of Jesus focusing primarily on his three-year ministry uh, written from a unique perspective than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Good so far? Okay, that's the, uh, a little bit of the context. Now, about the author, um, we've mentioned the gospel according to John. Uh, that is in the title itself, right? But let's get to know John maybe just a little bit better. Again, I had a conversation not too long ago with someone who uh, said, well, the gospel of John was written by John the Baptist. I said, well, actually, it was not written by John the Baptist. Um, it talks about John the Baptist, but the gospel of John was written by the Apostle John, so one of the twelve apostles. So, uh, just again, a few things about John. John was a fisherman by trade, uh, would have been uh, around nor the northern Galilee area, um, up around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, so, he was not, uh, by, by me saying he was a fisherman, means a couple of things. One of the things that it means is that he would not have been formally, formally educated <coughs> or formally trained. Um, uh, like the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, who was trained as a Pharisee, a formally educated. John would not have been formally educated. Uh, his brother James was also one of the apostles. Jesus called them actually the sons of thunder, uh, which probably tells you a little bit about their personality. And so uh, we read in a lot of John's writing about love and about a lot of uh, themes that we would say seem to be conducive to um, gentleness and love. We'd say he was very much a changed man, it seems, from when Jesus maybe met him when he would have been probably a teenager or young adult to uh, when he was older in life and wrote this book. Um, he was part of Jesus's inner circle, okay? And so 12 apostles, but of the 12 apostles, we see at times Jesus would take three or four of them away, just them. And John was often part of that inner circle. And so we get uh, some unique perspective from John because of that. So for instance, although it's not covered in this book, but when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, Peter, James, and John are there. Uh, can you imagine seeing Jesus transfigured, right? The, the glory that he shines with just for a few moments. John would have been there to witness that. Uh, in the garden before Jesus is arrested, he goes a little further and he takes some with him. And so John would have been one of those ones that he took with him in the garden. A little more just uh, uh, intimate moment, really, as Jesus asked them to pray with him uh, just prior to his uh, betrayal and arrest. And so John was part of that inner circle, would have been part of conversations probably that other apostles were not able to be a part of. He was a key individual, of course, in the New Testament, at the beginning of the New Testament. So as we read in the book of Acts, Peter and John are the key figures at the beginning of the book of Acts as the church is just being established. Um, how many books did John write in the New Testament? Anybody remember? Right, five books, okay. Gospel of John, three letters, right, in the book of Revelation. And so he actually wrote a pretty good section of the uh, New Testament, 
and somewhat uniquely, most of the apostles were martyred, uh, ended up being killed for their faith. Uh, John was certainly persecuted, but he was not actually martyred. Uh, he ended up being exiled on the island of Patmos, uh, where tradition says he wrote the book of Revelation. And so uh, seems as though he would died kind of maybe in captivity, but not actually martyred for his faith. So that's John. A very brief overview of who John is. All right, let's get in the book. Turn to chapter 20. <coughs> Excuse me. Chapter 20, right near the end of the book itself. Um, if you're like me, you probably want to put a box around these verses, highlight them, underline them, maybe put an asterisk, maybe a box and an asterisk, maybe. I mean, it's up to you. But... John is very nice in the sense that he actually tells us why he wrote the book, right? And, and so as you study a book, if you can get a kind of a guiding principle or guiding purpose, then everything you read in that book is kind of filtered through that understanding. And uh, John does that for us, okay? So in John chapter 20, the last two verses in John 20, verses 30 and 31, he explains kind of the guiding verses as to why he wrote this particular book. So let's read this here. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. We're going to kind of revisit that, what he means by signs, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Listen why they're written. <clears throat> so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, or the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Okay? Many other things Jesus did. They're not written down here, but the ones that are written down here are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That's why these particular ones are here. <coughs> we just established Matthew, Mark, and Luke cover some other aspects, right? Why don't they all share the same things? Well, John said these are arranged in this way. Uh, and we'd say affirm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? Affirm these way that we might be able to read these things and believe that Jesus is the Christ and have life in his name. Let that sink in just for a moment, okay? Uh, first of all, this is a guiding then purpose for the book as we go through this for the next year, you need to go back and revisit this verse a lot, right? Why are these things written down? Why are we covering these things? Why does John cover this? Well, that's right. Uh, end of chapter uh, 21, John tells us why these things have been included. The other, though, is just the very nature of him saying these things have been written down to help or to aid in your belief. Okay, and so when, when I mentioned at the beginning the idea of belief or idea of faith, right, is a theme throughout the book itself. I, I hear at times people having a mindset when it comes to faith or belief that just, you know, just take a leap of faith, right? It's just stepping out into the darkness as though our faith or our belief is not built on any type of a foundation. And I find that concept very foreign to Scripture. Okay, so... I might be taking a step into the unknown, but I'm doing it on the foundation of God's Word, right? 
That doesn't mean I understand everything that I'm doing, but I understand why I'm doing it, because Christ has asked me to do that, right? So I had a mentor say that faith is affirming what God has said in his word. It's agreeing with what God has said in his word. It's having a foundation in the word of God and then acting in accordance to that. James Montgomery Boyce states it this way, There are always people who will say that faith is something that must be entirely divorced from evidence, but that is not stated in the Bible. Faith is believing in something or someone on the basis of evidence and then acting upon it. In this case, John has provided evidence for the full deity of Jesus so that readers, whether in this age of ours or in their age, might believe in and commit their lives to Jesus as their Savior. He goes on to say, John, however, reveals Jesus as the eternal, the preexistent Son of God, who became man in order to reveal the Father and to bring men access into eternal life through his historical death and literal resurrection. May we have firm confidence that the faith that we have is based on something. Right? It is based on something. We're living in a world today where we need to be confident. Right? Faith isn't based on what mom and dad said, grandma and grandpa said. Faith is based on the word of God. And because of that, <coughs> we can be confident right, in the work of our Savior. And it's books like the Gospel of John that can be, I think, hugely influential and beneficial in that. I've had conversations with some of you in here good conversations, right? Where you're saying, I'm just, I'm going through a period where I'm struggling in my faith a little bit. And almost always in that conversation, we'll turn it back to how are you doing in the Word of God? And almost always, I haven't spent much time in God's Word, but I just feel like God isn't very close to me, or I don't see Him moving. To which I will hopefully gently remind them, because others have gently reminded me, Where do we think we're going to experience God apart from the Word of God that He's provided for us? Now, we can experience God in community, right? We can certainly experience Him through prayer, but the Word of God is really the best way to experience Him. And so I'm excited about studying the Gospel of John because of that faith-affirming aspect of the book, right? The very purpose of why it was written. (coughs) Sorry, I got this lingering cough. It's relatively annoying. Um, but that, uh, again, as we'll be walking through this for the next few months, uh, I think we'll be able to encourage one another in that, and that will be, uh, I think, just beneficial to us all. All right? So we're good? So John chapter 21, verses 30, 31, uh, memorize it, uh, put an asterisk around it, we'll go around and quiz each other on it, uh, for the next two years. All right. Good. Okay. General outline of the book. Turn back to chapter one. General outline. We're not going to get a bunch of details, but again, just some hooks to help you kind of uh, see the book itself uh, as we start to study through it. Um, Again, like today, we're not doing like a specific anchor passage. We'll start into that uh, next week. But general outline. uh, Four basic parts of the book. Uh, first part is what's called the prologue, or really just the introduction. Uh, so write this down, John 1, 1 through 18. 
uh, John 1, 1 through 18. Uh, most of you are probably familiar with aspects of this. Um, doesn't start like the other Gospels. <coughs> Let me just read the first couple verses. <clears throat> three verses, actually. So, uh, John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So, again, not the way that many of the Gospels start. Uh, this actually should, in your mind, draw you back kind of to the Old Testament a little bit. We're going to talk about that in a second. But uh, what is John doing? John is establishing, remember the purpose of the book, right? That uh, these are written that you may believe Jesus is the uh, the Christ, the Son of God, believing you might have life in his name. John is establishing from the very f first verses that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who this book is about, he actually pre-existed, right? And so he didn't just start to exist when Mary had him as a little baby in a manger, right? He pre-existed. He has been with God from the beginning. It's actually uh, an affirmation, right, of saying that there was a community, <clears throat> this triune God community, at least see two of those persons here, um, before there was anything else. This actually even predates the creation of the world, right? In the beginning was God, the Word, and the Word was with God. And then later they decided to create. And so John is establishing that very early on, the pre-existence of Christ. That's the first few verses there. Uh, we won't go into all those. Again, we'll be starting to walk through those over the next couple weeks. Um, the second section, major section of the book, uh, the signs of the Messiah. <coughs> all right? Section 2, the signs of the Messiah. This is uh, John chapter 1, starting verse 19, through the end of chapter 12, which is verse 50. Okay, so the signs of the Messiah. Uh, the Messiah <clears throat> is uh, the Christ, right? So Greek words, uh, or sorry, uh, Hebrew words, Messiah, Greek words, Christ. And so same word means the anointed one. So the signs of the anointed one or the signs that Jesus is the Christ is another way that you could put that down. So the first kind of major section here, we see Jesus performing signs. We're going to talk through what John means through that in here in just a moment. But um, look at verse 19 uh, as the first verse really of this section. Uh, verse, uh, start in verse 19, just read through verse 23. This is testimony of John. Now, this is testimony of John Baptist, okay? Uh, this testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem and asked him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. This is John the Baptist saying, I'm not the Christ. They said to him, then, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. Who do you say about yourself? Or sorry, what do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the, as the prophet Isaiah said. So at the very beginning of this section, we see the religious leaders trying to establish uh, who is John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, I'm the one preparing the way 
for the Messiah, right? So the signs of the Messiah, one of those uh, aspects is John helping to prepare the way for the Messiah, and we see this as a theme throughout the next few chapters then uh, leading up through chapter, and including chapter 12. So um, this major section, the signs of the Messiah, uh, and, and we'll uh, talk through exactly what is meant by a sign here in a moment. Third major section, starting verse, uh, sorry, starting chapter 13, if you want to turn, turn to chapter 13. Chapter 13, if we scroll there. <coughs> It'd be uh, chapter 13, verse 1, through the end of chapter 20. We already read the last couple of verses, chapter 20, but it'd be chapter 20, verses, um, uh, verse 31. Titled this section, The Passion and the Preparation of Jesus. The Passion and the Preparation of Jesus. Uh, these chapters, these seven or eight chapters, uh, cover just one week of the life of Christ. Okay? And so... Verse thir- uh, chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, he loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Okay? It's a kind of summarizing statement over the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, those who were with him, his disciples, Jesus loved them. To the end, he knew that his time had come, his hour had come, the reason he had been sent to earth ultimately, right? Not just just be an example for us, to be, to be an ultimate sacrifice for us in the sins of the world. Jesus knew that, and in the midst of all that, it's really encouraging to see how much he actually invests in his disciples during his last week. Uh, it, it is striking to me, Right? Kind of that question like, what would you do if you knew you only had a couple weeks to live? Um, I have this sneaking suspicion, unfortunately, that I would be incredibly selfish. Right? I've always wanted to do this. This is what I want to do. Right? Or I I just want to spend time with my family. Sorry, y'all. Love you. But see in heaven. Right? What did Jesus do? He continued to invest in his 12 disciples, those closest to him. And literally the world has never been the same because of it. They then went and changed the world, right? Through the testimony of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see Jesus in these last few chapters investing in his, uh, his disciples, which is just a tremendous, I think, uh, testimony of who he was. But it's a time of preparation, right? And so uh, we see conversations that he has here. We see meals that he has. Uh, we have interactions that he has with of religious leaders and others uh, in these verses, but that is, um, that's the second kind of major section, the passion and preparation of Jesus. That's chapters uh, 13 through 20. And then uh, the last chapter, then chapter 21, the epilogue or kind of the concluding uh, chapter of the book. Uh, turn there to chapter 21. Uh, again, a familiar passage, I think, to some. Chapter 21 is a uh, post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. He's actually <coughs> not in Jerusalem at this point where he would have been resurrected, right? He is up around the Sea of Galilee, which is a couple, uh, about two, two to three hours away uh, by bus if you've ever been to Jerusalem. And uh, if you remember, Peter 
had not, uh, let's say Peter had not ended well up to this point. He had uh, denied Jesus, right? As Jesus, if you remember that story, um, in that interaction with Jesus and Peter. Um, we know Peter uh, oftentimes, right, as the disciple who just said maybe what he was thinking without thinking through what he was thinking. Uh, we know Peter as eventually the one who stands up at Pentecost and proclaims the gospel boldly, but we realize there's this period of time when he was, seems ashamed to be identified with Jesus, and we see the restoration of Peter here uh, in John chapter 21, which is just really, again, a beautiful picture, I think, of the heart of our Savior in his compassion for and tenderness and concern about those who follow him, understanding they don't have to be perfect because he is perfect, uh, understand that he can work through our brokenness. And so there's restoration of Peter uh, in John chapter 21 is just really a beautiful testimony of Jesus's patience and his willingness to come to us and take the initiative, right? Uh, and then finally, uh, it ends, look at the very last verse, in John chapter 21, verse 25, just kind of reaffirming somewhat the purpose, right? Now there are uh, also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them to be written, <coughs> I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John, uh, having experienced so many things with Christ, understand there's so much more that could be said uh, and perhaps someday, right, we'll sit around with John, maybe some of the apostles, hear some of the stories of Jesus uh, as he would tell them to us if, if he's so inclined to do so, right, to say some of the other stories that they experienced together. But um, again, John uh, selecting certain ones for us uh, for the sake of ultimately our, our belief and our trust in who Christ is. All right, so general outline, right? Uh, intro kind of conclusion, two main sections of that, all pointing to the person and work of Christ and the significance of that. Uh, I want to spend a little bit of time now, a little transition into <coughs> the context of the book as it relates to the Old Testament itself. All right, so we're not going to spend a lot of time in the Old Testament, but the, the book, uh, and as we go through, it'll be neat to, to, to really look at some of these connection points in more detail but the book sits on the foundation of the Old Testament, as all the New Testament books do. Uh, John, being a Jew, uh, just kind of uh, seamlessly at times just weaves in some of these themes that we can often miss. And I'll admit, I often miss them. And that's where commentators and others can be really helpful. That's why studying through the Old Testament can be really helpful. I know like in our Genesis Bible study, there's certain themes you pick up on that you say, oh, that's... I think I remember that in the New Testament, and some of the writers pick up on some of those things. And so I just want to uh, highlight two or three of these uh, for us. The first one we already kind of looked at, go now way back to the first verse, or first few verses that we already kind of looked at in the beginning, right? John chapter 1, kind of 1 through 3, 1 through 4. Uh, we see a reference to, I already mentioned this, <coughs> in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, chapter 1, he was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him. That, that, that's where we get Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? So 
God the Father, God the Son, existed in perfect unity prior to creation. Verse 3 of John chapter 1, and, and then they decided to create, right? But it's a connection to that creation account uh, that we see there in the beginning of John, which I think is interesting. Uh, verse 4 then, in him was life. The life was the light of men. Think of the themes of life in the course of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Think of the themes of light and darkness in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Verse 5 of John chapter 1, the light shines in the darkness. Darkness has not overcome it, right? And so themes that would have invoked, I think, understanding in the readers in the first century of the significance of the creation account. We see this here in the Gospel of John. As I mentioned, what's the significance? Well, one is uh, right from the beginning, the uh, emphasis on the triune God, the pre-existence of Jesus. And then secondly, <coughs> the emphasis on uh, really the Old Testament as a time of um, anticipation and preparation for the Savior, right? And so as we would read through the Old Testament, like the book of Genesis, we see that God throughout the Old Testament, uh, right in Genesis 3, in the midst of Genesis 3, uh, plants this seed, literally, right, of a Savior who would be coming. And we see throughout the rest of the Old Testament, uh, as God is working through one nation, right, he calls Abraham and Sarah and says, I will make through you a great nation and I will bless all the nations of the world through you. Uh, we see that in Genesis chapter 12, 15, 17, <coughs> reaffirmation of this covenant that God made with them. And we just see God just weaving this throughout the whole Old Testament to this point where, like, the fullness of time had actually come. That, that Messiah, that Savior, the Christ, the Anointed One, the one that you had been waiting for, is actually here, right? And John is building this case. This is the one. Jesus is the one. And, and here's how you can know, because he fulfills these certain things. And so that connection to the Old Testament is really important connection to the Old Testament is something that the first century, especially the Jews, that he would have been writing to, although the audience was a little broader than that, but they would have picked up on those and understand the significance of that for their time, but hopefully we understand that significance as well. A second connection to the Old Testament besides just the uh, first few verses there <clears throat> is the symbolism that we see. So I'm going to mention it. I don't expect you to um, necessarily remember all this, but just as we go through, right, be thinking, I think Gabe said something about this, and that, I'll, that'll be good enough, all right? <clears throat> One commentator says it this way, okay, because there's a lot of symbolism. It says another crucial motif or another crucial theme, okay, in John's theology is Jesus' fulfillment of the symbolism inherent within Jewish festivals and institutions, okay? Jewish festivals and institutions, so keep that in mind. By pronouncing himself, this is for instance, to be the light of the world and the source of living water, Jesus claims to fulfill the torch lighting and water purifying ceremonies that were part of the Feast of Tabernacles. So that's just a for instance, right? So I'm the light of the world, or uh, I'm the source of living water, right? They would have performed 
uh, during feasts, certain rituals that should have pointed to the light of the world. Jesus said, that's me. Or the, the water, life-giving. Jesus said, that's me. So Jesus is claiming to be the fulfillment of these uh, rituals that you would have seen throughout the Old Testament, right? Jesus is claiming to fulfill those. Uh, for instance, by dying during Passover week, Jesus revealed to be the prototype of the Jewish Passover, right? Passover was pointing towards something. Jesus is standing there and pointing towards me, right? I'm the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. <coughs> by pointing to his own crucified and resurrected body as the true embodiment and functional substitute of the Jewish temple. Jesus indicates that Judaism is merely preparatory, anticipating the coming of God's Messiah. Listen to this. True worship must be rendered not in a particular physical location, but in spirit and in truth. So what's Jesus saying? You don't need the temple to worship God. You can worship God everywhere. That's what he argues in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Should we worship in Samaria? Should we worship in Jerusalem? There's going to be a time you worship God anywhere, right? Literally, thank God. We can worship him from Lynchburg, <coughs> Virginia. So there's a lot of symbolism through the feasts and festivals that they had, the institutions they had, uh, a lot of the symbolism that they had, right? The ceremonies, the temple itself. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things throughout the book of John. And that gets exciting, I think, to uh, read through that to understand, again, Christianity is being birthed out of something, right? It's not just some, uh, some religion that, that came up at some point in time, right? This is being birthed out of thousands of years, right? Of prophecies being fulfilled, ultimately in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. A third connection to the Old Testament. We won't have significant time to go into this one. <coughs> there are uh, seven statements that have been known as the I am statements throughout the gospel of John. All right. So um, if you remember the Old Testament, right? We're talking about the book of Genesis. Work with me here. What's the next book? Genesis, Exodus, right? Okay. In Exodus, the beginning of the Exodus, John, uh, uh, God calls Moses, right? And he calls him. He's out in the middle of the wilderness, right? And there's this bush that's on fire and it just won't burn up and so he goes over right and he starts having a conversation with God right remember this right and he said who should I say sent me and the answer from the voice from God from the burning bushes tell them that I am sent you I am that's that's the God who is sending <coughs> so I am has been understood to be kind of God's personal name okay the I am well, in the book of John, there are seven times that Jesus claims to be the I Am. Okay? So, again, connection to the Old Testament. Think of the importance of the Exodus, right? God's people are being delivered from a... Uh, have a deliverer, right? Moses says later on, God's going to raise up for you someone like myself to deliver the nation. Right? Jesus is on the great deliverer who's delivering up, right? And I am claiming to be the I am, okay? So, seven different I am statements. Um, <coughs> I'll list them for you. I don't expect you to get them all. Uh, they are in chapters 6 through chapter 15. I was going to quiz you on them, see how many of you knew, but all right. 
I'm the bread of life. That's chapter 6. I'm the light of the world. Chapter 8. I'm the door of the sheep. It's in chapter 10. Also in chapter 10, I'm the good shepherd. Chapter 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. Chapter 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In chapter 15, I am the true vine. So Jesus is claiming these I am statements. And in case there was any doubt in your mind, like, okay, Gabe, you know, maybe it's just, maybe it's just the word I am, right? I mean, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Well, okay, fine then. Turn to John chapter 8, if you don't believe me, or if you do. All right? <clears throat> Turn to John chapter 8, really fun interaction Jesus has with some of the religious leaders that should leave no doubt in our mind who Jesus was claiming to be. Um, sometimes you just want to be there, right, and listen to some of the conversations. And I love that we can in some regards, but to just have been there with John or with Peter and just see the way in which Jesus interacted with the religious leaders would have been pretty fascinating. Also to see the way in which he healed with miracles would have been pretty fascinating. <coughs> John chapter 8. Um, Jesus is having this conversation, like I said, with the religious leaders, going back and forth. Uh, I'm just going to read kind of towards, uh, towards the end. If you want to read the whole thing, it's 48 through 59. But fi verse 56, <clears throat> Jesus is uh, answering them. Of course, they would have appealed to Abraham because Abraham was the father of that nation. The significance and importance of who Abraham was really would have considered no one greater than him except God himself. Verse 56, John chapter 8, Your father Abraham, this is Jesus saying, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. Okay, he just throws it down. Verse 59, did they understand what he was saying? Absolutely. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. <coughs> Jesus wasn't saying, you know, hey, remember that guy in the burning bush? Yeah, I'm kind of like that guy. Now he's saying, remember that guy in the burning bush? He's talking about, that was me, right? I was having that conversation, and it blew their mind, right? They could not imagine what he was claiming to be. So they picked up stones, right? Capital punishment. They were going to kill him for blasphemy. He was claiming to be God. Even in this book, right, fast forward to his actual trial, he was put on trial originally because he was claiming to be God, right? They changed the charge to treason, right? Because anybody claiming to be God would be claiming to be someone against the king or against Caesar, and so he's treason, so that's why he can be delivered up and killed under Roman law. But they made no mistake about it that Jesus was actually claiming to be God. So again, a unique and uh, kind of neat connection to the Old Testament, something to keep in mind as we go throughout the book, as there's numerous I am statements 
here throughout the book, and then that kind of bonus one where he just says, I am. Okay? Um, a few key words or key themes uh, as, uh, as we uh, kind of progress through this overview. All right? <coughs> so um, let me give you just key, some key themes. I'm not going to hit all of them. I apologize if I missed some of the ones that you might think are more important. Uh, hopefully we will hit those as we go through as a congregation in the next few months. Uh, one of them kind of relates to this, and it's the, that phrase, my hour, okay? My hour. Um, Jesus, throughout this book, understands he's on a mission, okay? And so turn to uh, John chapter 2. <clears throat> I know I got you moving around a lot in the book, but that's okay. Turn to John chapter 2. Uh, and, and kind of on many occasions, he references my hour. John chapter 2. <coughs> on the third day, this verse 1, John 2. On the third day, there's a wedding at Cana in Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? Notice what he says. My hour has not yet come, right? It's not time for me to do what it is that I came to do. He understood that, and his mom just said to the servants, we'll do whatever he says, right? And we know that God uh, then, that, that Jesus then does perform a miracle there, uh, which is one of the signs that we're going to talk about here in a moment. Uh, later in the book, <clears throat> John chapter 7, turn to John chapter 7 uh, quickly with me. John chapter 7. Um, verse 28. Again, we're jumping kind of into the middle of a, a story that's happening here, but just for the context of understanding uh, this phrase, my hour, Jesus. Uh, verse 28, John chapter 7. So Jesus proclaimed... Uh, as he taught in the temple, you know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Right? His unique connection to the Father. So they were seeking to arrest him. But listen here, but no one laid an, a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. It, it just simply was not time, Right? When they arrested him in the garden, it was not the first time they tried to arrest him. It's not the first time they tried to seize him. It was not the first time they tried to kill him, right? We just read that in John chapter 8. They wanted to stone him. Uh, we see the miraculous happen um, time and time again, it seems, in his life, where he either slipped through the crowd or for whatever reason they just couldn't get their hands on him, right? Why? Because God the Father was protecting him because his hour had not yet come. We read this in John chapter 8, uh, similar state in John chapter 12. John chapter 13, right? Then, finally, flip forward to John chapter 17. <coughs> John chapter 17, this is in the garden, just hours before his arrest. John chapter 17. He is uh, spending some time to pray in the garden. John chapter 17, verse 1. 
When Jesus had spoken these things, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, listen to this, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son might glorify you. He understood, right? He understood what was at stake. He understood that now his time had come. This had been about three years that he had been in open public ministry. And so we see this theme of his hour, uh, and Jesus was not at all surprised by what was happening to him. If you remember John chapter 13, he knew that his time was close, right? And he was investing in his disciples for that last week, uh, knowing what was to come. A second key kind of theme or word is the idea of belief. I uh, already mentioned that a couple times uh, in the book of John. <coughs> sorry, in the book of John, uh, belief uh, is active, right? Now, don't read into that, that we, we save ourselves. That clearly not the case. Uh, the theme throughout is the power and work of Jesus on our behalf. Uh, and yet, as you would read something, uh, a read of some of these passages and these stories, we see that uh, Jesus is kind of comparing belief to certain things. Uh, flip back to John chapter 4, uh, Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. If you want to turn there, you can. Um, <clears throat> having this uh, interesting conversation uh, about the idea of water and the importance of water, and drawing water, and how to get water, right? Um, have a conversation about the well itself that they were sitting around. Uh, but Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 13, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, this physical water that's here. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty forever. The water I give will become in him a, light, a spring of water swelling up to eternal life. So what is belief like? Belief is like drinking of the water that I give to you, right? Uh, later on, we see kind of these tangible <coughs> kind of expressions. John chapter 8, uh, John chapter 12, walking in and having the light. That the belief is like having the light. Uh, John chapter 6, John chapter 8, John chapter 15 is probably the... The, the best example um, of this, uh, what is belief like? It's like abiding in me. Abide in me, uh, the vine and the branches, right? That's what belief is like. If you believe me, you're abiding in me, you're remaining in me, right? And so we see this unique perspective on belief uh, enabled through the fruit of the Holy Spirit or the, the life of the Holy Spirit within the life of the believer. And so it's not something that we're left to our own, but belief, it, there's an active, right? We're participating in it for the glory of God. A third key theme, I've mentioned this word a couple times, and that is the word sign. Uh, throughout the book, the idea of signs, okay, signs of the Messiah, what, point, what points to Jesus as the Christ. Um, instead of using the word miracle, John uses the word sign. <clears throat> now, what do we mean by miracle? Here's a couple of quick definitions. Uh, miracle is an event where God is circumventing the natural order in order to do something extraordinary. So he circum circumvents his natural order. Or John Piper defines a miracle this way, an event in the heart or mind of the body or nature in the world that would not have come about if God had not supernaturally intervened 
in the ordinary process of nature or, or natural cause and effect. So uh, a supernatural intervention in the natural world, right? God sustains his world around him. He governs his world by laws that he's established uh, as part of his creation, but he reserves the right to reach down into his system and mess with things when he wants to, right? So supernatural intervention into his natural order and creation that he's established. And so the book itself is actually set up with a series of signs or miracles that point to what? Point to the purpose of the book, John chapter 20, uh, to point to the fact that Jesus is the Christ and we can believe and have life in his name. So again, I'm going to just read these quickly to you. You're probably familiar (coughs) with most of them. Don't expect you to have these memorized. But one commentator would say, as you see the conflict kind of rising against Jesus, escalating conflict, you see the nature of his miracles in the book of John escalating, right? So we start with the first sign, turning water into wine. Okay, I mean, I can't do that, don't get me wrong. We say, that's kind of a smaller miracle, right? I mean, still... Still water? Mm-hmm. Still water, yep. So, um, but we, we see them kind of growing in their intensity. Okay, ultimately to death, burial, resurrection. That's, that's a big one, right? That's a big one. But we see a lot of, you know, escalating conflict. They, they killed him. Oh, then he rose again, right? So uh, here, here are the seven ones that kind of lead to that, though. Changing water into wine. He heals an official son in John chapter 4. <coughs> he heals uh, an invalid, right, man who couldn't walk, John chapter 5. He feel, feeds the multitude in John chapter 6, walks on water in John chapter 6, heals the man born blind, okay? So the invalid had uh, been uh, unable, had been lame for years, but not since birth. The man born blind was born blind, right? which had actually become a messianic prophecy from the book of Isaiah and others to say that the Messiah would be able to give sight to the blind, right? So it's a sign of that. And then the last one, seventh sign, was raising Lazarus, right? In uh, John chapter 11, he, he raised someone from the dead. Pretty big deal, right? All of these, again, pointing to the importance and significance of the work of Christ. And then finally... <clears throat> the last themes I really wanted to talk through, um, just a unique view of the Trinity. Okay, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I'll just cover those quickly. We already looked at John 1, 1 through 2, uh, with the relationship with God the Father and God the Son. We see that throughout the book, uh, God the Father is often seen as the one who sent Jesus. The Father sent me, had this unique relationship between the Father and the Son. Uh, the unique presentation of Jesus Christ. already mentioned this, um, that the book itself centers on the person and work of Christ, as you would imagine that a biography of him would do, uh, but to pointing to the fact that he is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one. And then the Holy Spirit, significance of the Holy Spirit, chapters 14, 15, and 16, as Jesus is seeking to comfort his disciples, okay, his last week, what he says to them 
Let me, let me just read this, um, a couple passages to you. You can turn there if you want. John 14. But again, the heart of Jesus coming out in here. John, uh, John 14, verses 1 through 3, as he uh, knows, knows it's the last week, right? <clears throat> Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Later on in that passage, verses John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. This unique ministry of the Holy Spirit. Fast forward one more chapter. John 15, verse 26. What will this Spirit do? John 15, 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, listen, He will bear witness about me. What's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? To elevate the personal work of Christ. Right? To, yes, to enable, and there's gifts of the Spirit, there's a fruit of the Spirit that we're to be walking in. Ultimately, though, we see the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to point us to the personal work of Christ and to help us become more like Christ. Romans 8, 29, that we'd be conformed to the image of the Son. And so the Gospel of John, what a, what a unique book. I think what a powerful book for us uh, to be studying through. And I, I just want to end by, in John chapter 17 <clears throat> by saying that when Jesus is um, by himself praying... In John 17, we'll walk through this probably a year or two from now. Um, but Jesus, in the first few verses of John 17, he prays for himself, to the Father, right? Restore the glory I had with you before the world was. <coughs> the second part of John chapter 17, he prays for the disciples, the disciples who had been with them so many years, had sacrificed so much. Jesus prays for them, that God would give them strength and give them unity. And then actually... And the last part of John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26, he prays for those who would believe as a result of the testimony of the disciples. I'm going to say it again. Praise for those who would believe as a result of the testimony of the disciples. I say, well, that, that's me. I mean, I, he's praying for us, right? He's praying for the church. About generations who would believe. And what's really interesting is what he prays for, for those who would believe. <clears throat> Verse 20 and 21. I didn't ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Listen to this, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We, we have an opportunity to participate in the story of God. Right? I mean, we have a book that is written with the purpose that we may believe, and by believing that we have life in His name, and we have Jesus praying for us that we would be part of that to help the world also believe. And to do that, He asked that we be united, that we would be one. I'm excited about the study in this book as well because I think that it can help us 
be united as a church, but not just our local church, right? But as we go out and interact with other believers from other congregations, the world is yet to see what could happen if the people of God took seriously Jesus' request that we would be united, right? That we'd put some of our, don't get me wrong, some of these differences are important, but let's be united in the fundamental teachings of our faith, right? So that Christ may be glorified, right? That he may be honored and the world may come to know him. All right, let's pray.